sleeping in public day here on our wacky wednesday episode i hope you take some time while you're on that bus or train to take a little nap let's go ahead and get into our headline today on before coffee freight train runs driveless for 75 kilometers in jammu what the investigation reveals. Out of control, Texas wildfires temporarily shut down a nuclear facility. Woman accused of murdering son who was three in Durham says Bible allowing caning. Is that a is that a python in your pants or are you just happy to see me? A man tries to smuggle a snake across the border and we have other weird news of people putting things in orifices they should. Meet the Tradwives, the anti-feminist traditional influencers. This story and the more, and all those stories and more, which is, as we mentioned, Sleeping in Public Day, February 28th, 2024, on Before Coffee. All right, our first news story here is from the Press Trust of India in coming out of New Delhi. A preliminary probe into the incident of the driverless running running of a freight train for about 70 kilometers from Kathwa, Jammu, to Uchibasi Station, Punjab, in Jammu-Tawi, Pathankot session has suggested that both the driver as well as the station master failed to fulfill their responsibilities. The joint probe report, signed by five senior railway officials, has recorded the statements of various persons involved in the incident and described the turn of events which point to dereliction of duties on the part of the driver and the station master of Kathwa. Exclusively accessed by the Press Trust of India, the report said that the local pilot in his statement submitted that besides stabilizing the engine and three wagons of the train by applying handbrakes, he also placed two wooden wedges before the wheels of the local sled couldn't move. The report added that, however, when the train was stopped at Uchibasi, the concerned station master carried out an inspection, which was video recorded and found that the wagon's handbrakes were not applied in position. It further noted that the station master of Kathwa, who was on duty, did not stabilize the train properly from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., Railway officials said that as per norms, the station master has to check if the brakes are properly applied and take other measures to ensure that it would not move, like putting those blocks in front of the wheels. According to the report, it was a divisional material train, DMT, which is used to carry railway materials from construction and other purposes. It was stationed at Kathwa Junction with 53 wagons and had no brake van guards. I had no brake van, guards coach. So there's nobody on the train. It was just materials being transported by themselves for 70 kilometers with nobody in control of the train. The report said that at 5.20 a.m. the control room told the station master to tell the driver to take the train to Jammu, but the driver refused as the train didn't have any guards coach as well as a guard. He was like, I'm not transporting this without anybody on. What if I get, I don't know, I guess they could get, are there bandits in India who are gonna take building materials maybe i don't know the control room as per the report asked the driver to shut down the train be relieved of his duties and take the train to jammu the driver handed over the keys to the station master at around 6 a.m and left for jammu the report suggested that train remained unmanned from 6 to 7 a.m before it started moving on its own due to a down gradient 
Experts say that per the norm, the station master is supposed to give in writing to the local pilot to leave the train unmanned, but in this case, as per the report, it was not done. The local pilot also didn't make an entry into the load stabilizing register and put a sign there, the report said. Basically, everyone was like, it's too fucking early in the morning for this, and that's what happened. <laughs> the train was like, well, if you're not going to pay attention to me, I'm leaving. Experts say that the norm, as per norm, wait, so we already did that one. According to the reports, the divisional railway manager at the Ferozpur division under which the Kasawa Jammu Tavi section comes has suspended six railway officials based on the preliminary probe and ordered a detailed investigation. All contacted Shoban Shadurari, general manager of Northern Railway NR, told news agency PTI, at the moment I cannot make any statement regarding actions being taken against the officials since further probe is on. According to an official railway communication, the driverless train ran at 70 to 75 kilometers an hour, crossed eight to nine stations, and covered 75 kilometers before it was stopped at Uchibasi by putting obstructions such as sand and wooden blocks on the track. Wow. So they just like, stack that stuff on the track. This train is a runaway train. No kidding. Wow. So there's your first wacky news story about making sure you pay attention to your train. These aren't old trains. These aren't steam engines. These are electric trains, I think. So, you know, I guess you could also just turn off the rail, but that might cause disruptions other other places. Probably easier just to stop it with momentum and physics. So, mm, yeah. there you it go. Gave me an, Luckily, nobody was hurt. No one got run over this time. Thank God. Your story. Gave me an idea for today's mic drop. So there you go. Okay. I send you a message right now. Boom. Anyway. Got uh, it. Remind me of a remind me of a song. Easily. Okay. This is Wildfire Knows as our hot hot planet continues to get hotter whether we do anything in it or not anymore i don't think there's a whole lot we can do much anymore except sit there and go wow wow out of control wildfires scorched texas panhandle and briefly shut down a nuclear weapons facility uh this is ap story jim bunch of letters that run together a series of wildfires swept across the country uh, west texas let's get this boosted in size read it. How about that? Every time my computer resets, it makes everything small. <laughs> 50%. A series of wildfires. Vertuno is his name. There you go. Jim Vertuno. A series of wildfires slipped across Texas panel early Wednesday, prompting evacuations, cutting off power to thousands, and forcing a brief shutdown of a nuclear weapons facility as strong winds, dry grass, and unseasonably warm temperatures fed the blazes. I think it's going to get better or before or worse as summer comes along. Summers are dry in West Texas, very dry. An unknown number of homes and other structures in Hutchinson County were damaged, destroyed, and local emergency officials said the main facility that disassembles America's nuclear arsenal paused operations Tuesday night but said it was open for normal work on Wednesday. Republican Governor Greg Abbott issued a disaster declaration for 60 counties the largest blaze, a Smokehouse Creek fire. Burned nearly 470 square miles, 112 or 1,200 square kilometers. According to the Texas A&M Forest Service, there's more than 
That is more than twice the size of the fire sparked Monday. Wow. Authorities have not said what might have caused the blaze, which tore through sparsely populated counties surrounded by rolling plains. The weather forecasts provided some hope for firefighters. Cooler temperatures, less wind, possibly rain on Thursday. But for now, the situation is dire in some areas. Texans are urged to limit the activities that could create sparks and take precautions to keep their loved ones safe, Abbott said. Texans are? So people in Houston are curious to do this? Because it's nowhere near Houston. Yeah. Why don't you just say people in the panhandle? Texas is a big freaking state. The panhandle of Texas is closer to North Dakota than it is to Brownsville, Texas. That's how big Texas is. <laughs> The, the Pantex plant, northeast of Amarillo, evacuated non-essential staff from the site on Tuesday night out of an abundance of caution. Leif Pendergraft, the spokesperson for Tuesday's for, for National Nuclear Security Administration Production Office in Pantex, said during a news conference, adding that the firefighters remain in case of emergency. The plant, along the main U.S. site for both assembling and disassembling atomic bombs, well, that's nice to know, I guess. I think that would be a secret where they assemble atomic bombs. But hey, who am I? It completed its last bomb in 1991 and has dismantled thousands since. So it's a, it's a bomb dismantling place. Earlier Wednesday, Pantex tweeted the facilities open for normal day shift operation. And that all personnel were, were able to report for duty according to the assigned schedule. All them people are getting mutated by working with nuclear weapons can go back to work. In Borger, a community of about 13,000 in Pantex, Hutchison County Emergency Management Service personnel plan to combat to take evacuees from one shelter to another ahead of expected power outages, overnight temperatures, and well below freezing. As evacuations are mounted, county and city officials streamed live on Facebook and tried to answer questions from panicked residents. Officials implored them to turn on their cell phones, emergency alerts, and be ready to evacuate immediately. Now, what's going to happen when the cell towers burn down? They described some roads as having fire on both sides and said resources were being stretched or limit. People posted on Facebook chat about their streets and communities hoping for good news, but more often the answer was either that the area had suffered damage or there wasn't any indication of how it had fared. Texas State Senator Kevin Sparks said an evacuation order is just issued for Canadian, a town of about 2,000, 100 miles northeast of Amarillo. Later Tuesday, the Hemphill County Sheriff urged anyone who remained in Canadian to shelter in place or at a high school gym because the roads were closed. Evacuations were also ordered in several other towns in a swath northeast of Amarillo. Fire officials across the border in the area of Durham, Oklahoma, Durham, Oklahoma, had encouraged people to evacuate, which is the Oklahoma Panhandle. At least some residents in the small city of Fitch in Hutchinson County were also told to leave their homes on Tuesday afternoon because another fire had jumped the highway. Everything south of Highway 146 in Fitch. Evacuate now, city officials said on Facebook. Well, if you weren't on Facebook, I guess you're screwed because you didn't get any information. I don't know. On Tuesday evening, the fire's we're 20 to 25 miles from Amarillo and wind blowing wildfire smoke into the city, which could affect people with respiratory issues, weather officials said. National Weather Service issued red flag warnings and fire danger alerts for several other states through the midsection of the country as high winds of over 40 miles per hour, 
which is 64 kph combined with warm temperatures low humidity and dry winter vegetation to make conditions ripe for wildfires in central nebraska a mower sparked a prairie fire that has burned a huge swath of grassland roughly the size of the largest city of omaha state officials said tuesday so wildfires across the west not just texas nebraska grasslands on fire and i'm sure there'll be no more fires this spring back to you fire fire back. fire damn amarillo right, it's starting morning. early this now I'm gonna play that song Amarillo by morning because yeah. by morning maybe it'll be on fire. I don't know. Let's hope not. Let's hope no, we not. Hope not. The, oh, the fire crews are probably dousing everything that's around, keeping it from. Oh know, right. Uh, surrounding in... with a few towns in West in the Panhandle. There's like two towns: Lubbock and Amarillo. The rest. Oh okay. Just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hey, sorry. And uh, I can't believe this is still happening in 2024 news, which is why I decided to report on it for Wacky and Weird Wednesday. Coming from The Guardian, written by Mark Brown, a woman accused of murdering her three-year-old son beat him with a bamboo cane and said she was allowed to because the Bible told her to chastise him. Christina Robinson, 30, also immersed her son in scalding hot water, causing severe burns, and shook him, shook him violently that resulted in brain damage, a court heard. A jury was told that the abuse took place while Robinson's husband, Gabriel Aduapu, was away undergoing basic training in the RAF. While he was away, she was also having an affair with a man she met on the internet, trying to conceive using a sperm donor. Robinson has pleaded not guilty to a charge of murdering her son. Dwellania at the family home in Ushamore, County Durham. She also denies a charge of child cruelty. The first day of her trial at Newcastle Crown Court, Richard Wright KC prosecuting said Dwellania died as a result of a head injury caused by violent shaking. His mother was a sole carer at the time. The court heard Robson called an ambulance for a child on the afternoon of 5 November 2022, telling the operator that Dwellania was not breathing and his eyes had gone weird. Wright said Robson told police who attended that the child had been eating a cheese bop when he suddenly became limp and collapsed. She said he did not chew and swallow his food well, well generally. Postmortem revealed a number of issues, including tramoline bruising consistent with having been beaten by a cylindrical weapon, like a bamboo rod or a cane. Bamboo cane stained with the child's blood and blood tissue was recovered from the home. The defendant now admits that she hit him with a weapon, but she says she was allowed to do so because the Bible tells her that she should be chastised her child. The boy who had a number of bandages in his lower body that Robinson said were the result of burning himself while messing about in the shower. Wright said that severe and terrible burns on his legs were actually a result of being the boy being immersed in scalding hot water. They would have caused him excruciating pain both when they were inflicted and afterwards when they were not properly treated or cared for, he said. The jury heard the burns were so serious, surgery would have been required to treat them. They needed immediate attention and would have left him scarred for life. Wright said it would have been patently obvious, patently obvious that the boy needed treatment, but Robinson instead watched every day as he struggled in pain with terrible burns bleeding through the bandages. He said the brain injury that led to the boy's death was caused by forceful shaking, probably with an impact to his surface. Wright said the boy's death was not an accident, but the end point of a series of violent and cruel acts perpetrated against him by his mother. 
She injured him, she neglected to treat the injuries she inflicted upon him, and then she murdered him. While the abuse was going on, her husband was away, Wright said. Robinson was trying to become pregnant using a sperm dom donor, which was successful. She was also having a casual relationship with a man she met on the internet. Wright pointed to Robinson's assertions that beating a child with a cane so that she drew blood was consistent, consistent with her being adherent of the teachings of the Bible. The rules of the Bible are something of a movable feast for her. The trial expected to last four weeks, but I think uh, they've already wrote a pretty good case here against her. Weird times we live in where people are using the Bible yet again to do cruel and unusual things to people. I can only say it's a... Now, it's not a pity, but it's almost a relief um, that that child did pass away because now he, he doesn't have to live under such a terrible mother. Um, unfortunately, that is maybe maybe that's what God did. God was like, I'll take this child from you. You don't deserve him. We're going to recycle his soul back and put him into somebody else's baby because uh, you don't this. He's not living the life. So really sad to hear, honestly, and really weird that people was, are beating their children with canes still what was that in, book she was reading again the one that was the bible figure out. yeah the, the bible huh? you know what they do in the united states the books that people use to, to, to commit violence <laughs> they ban them yeah so uh, that book the bible you can't say yeah uh, that would be banned in the united states just for that reason yeah. if it wasn't the bible and if it wasn't the bible yeah if it was janie has two moms it would be banned yeah believe me yeah. That's my story. Anyway. Quick and uh, uh, weird. Definitely weird. Okay, so we've got news brief weirdness today, and they all involve dudes smuggling or putting things in weird places. Let's put that one. Okay. Okay. Okay, we're lost my news. Play some music. We are playing music. There's background music all the time. Okay. Well, you can discuss the story then. Pythons. Yeah. I had the story. It's not there anymore. Let's click and close that. But I can find it. I know where it was. It's in your history somewhere. No. Well, yeah, that's true, but I don't know which. Uh... Yeah, I closed. I closed it after the uh, wildfire story. Stupid, right? This is also AP News. Albany, New York, caught at the border with python in his pants. New York City man fined and sentenced to probation. New York City man who admitted to smuggling three Burmese pythons in his pants through a U.S.-Canadian border crossing was sentenced Wednesday to a year of probation and fined $5,000, federal prosecutors said. Alvin Bautista, 38, crossed into northern New York with hidden snakes in a bus from Montreal to New York City on July 15, 2018. It was taking six years to get its way through court. Very encouraging when a case like this gets, you know, pushed six years into the future. The young adult snakes were hidden in the inner thigh of his pants in snake bags tied to the pants drawstring. They were discovered by U.S. Customs Border Protection Officers according to court documents and a release from the office of the U.S. Attorney Carla B. Friedman. 
Queens resident purchased the snakes, which were worth more than $2,500 at a reptile store in Canada, according to court documents. Importation of Burmese pythons is regulated in an international treaty by U.S. federal relations, listing them as injurious to human beings. The Burmese python, one of the world's largest snakes, is considered a valuable species in, in its native Asia and is invasive in Florida, where it threatens native animals. Bautista's attorney had no comment. Okay, so not a big story. We move on. Doctors remove 150 live bugs from a Florida man's nose. This is from the Huffington Post. Wow. Uh, David Moyai. Dozens and dozens of larvae reportedly feeding on the man's nose and sinus cavity, some as big as the end of a pinky. So prepare to get grossed out. In a cringy story, a Florida man is breathing easier now that 150 live bugs have been removed from his nose. The unidentified, unidentified patient went to the hospital earlier this month after noticing that his whole face felt like it was on fire, according to the Friday report by Jacksonville's First Close News. Although the man first started experiencing symptoms in October, it wasn't until recently they became serious. Over a couple of hours, my face just started swelling. My lips swelled, I could hardly talk. I couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom without my nose starting to bleed. A man visited HCA Florida Memorial Hospital in Jacksonville and consulted with Dr. David Carlson, an ear, nose, and throat specialist who was on call. Carlson was shocked when he looked inside the man's nose with a camera. I saw dozens and dozens of bugs feeding on the nose inside his cavity, some as big as the end of his pinky. I knew he was in big trouble. There was an erosion occurring near the skull base at close proximity to his eye and his brain. At first, the physician tried using suction to remove the insects, which were their larval stage, but they were too large. So he had extracted one by one from the man's nose. They're right up against the skull base, right in his brain. They had gone through, if they had gone through that, it could have killed them. The bugs had since been sent to an epidemiologist to determine their species. The patient is expected to make a full recovery. Oh, good. It remains a mystery how the lava got inside the man's nose, but he told First Coast News that the problem might have stemmed from his bad hygiene and oh, habits when handling dead fish. No kidding. There you go. Before I'm like, I what the hell? How my... do you not notice something eating your nose canal? Like, <laughs> how long did it? <laughs> before I would rinse my nose in the river, I'm sorry, before I would rinse my hands in the river, now I'll use cleaner to do a better job and not touch my nose or my hand. Yeah, you're cleaning the fish, don't touch anything. You, you think after post-COVID world, people would stop touching their nose? Like, I literally... If I'm in public, I don't touch my nose. Like when I come inside, I don't touch my nose oh. the whole rest of the day. I'm like, I'm not touching anything on my face. I went outside. <laughs> Let me remind you, this is Florida. Florida Where man has bugs in his nose. There is, no, there is no off season for anything. It's never cold <laughs> enough for anything to go into dormant stage. So everything just constantly, as they say, just life being life. So there you go. Another story of another put another person with things putting things in his butt on purpose. Not his nose by accident. This is from David Moyer, I guess same guy, hopping the post. He gets the weird stories. Okay, this is Texas though. We're back to Texas. A kilt-wearing man in Spring, Texas was arrested last week for a crime that can be truly described as asinine, taking taking items for sale at antique stores and placing them in his anus. 
Oh boy. Oh, and he allegedly put the tainted items back on the shelves, presumably so unsuspecting shoppers would purchase them. Oh, Lordy. Michael Vest was arrested on February 15th on charges of criminal mischief stemming from incidents that occurred on February 10th, where he was observed allegedly placing items in his rectum and then putting them back in the shelves at two antique shops in spring, according to a news release from the Harris County Precinct Floor Constable's office. Some of the items these 60-year-old allegedly contaminated include a makeup brush, an antique bottle opener, and a tobacco tent can, according to a possible cause affidavit obtained by law and crime. The total cost of the items was little, two over $200. The items had to be thrown away because of fecal contamination, but if the guesters were able to connect them to Vest, he was fined. A, he was freed on a $100 bond. So there you go. Guy with the trying to steal snakes, and the story just got progressively weirder from there. <laughs> Not steal snakes. He bought the snakes. He was trying to smuggle them, and they just got progressively weird. Smuggling snakes. If you see snakes, a guy wearing man. a kilt, if you see a guy wearing a kilt in a antique store, go ahead and follow him. <laughs> Yeah, stop bothering everyone else. Only follow the men in kilts, okay? I don't think you're racially profiling Scotsmen if a guy's <laughs> walking around in a kilt at an antique store. If you're just curious about what he's yeah. up to. What are you doing with that curious. kilt there, sir? Yeah. All right. Anyway. In our weird and culture news segment, some more. Have you heard about Tradwives? Because if you're even a little bit on the internet. You probably have. I definitely have been hearing about them for a couple months now. So let's go ahead and look into what they are. This is from Euronews Culture. Content posted, uh, what are, what are tradwives? Content posted by women in flowery dresses from lavish country kitchens may look innocent enough, but beneath that is in, they are in fact calling for a return to the 1950s style of gender norms, but without any of the money for, to support it. Posing about fashion, lifestyle, or sports, there are influencers out there for every hobby under the sun. You may be used to stumbling across the accounts of beautifully looking American women in impressive country houses. However, if you dig a little deeper, you could discover that you have stumbled upon a trad wife, a woman advocating for a return to the 1950s style gender norms. The trad wife movement is an international movement of women who advocate return to traditional gender norms through submitting to their husbands and promoting domesticity, 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 Domestic, domesticity. Domest Cecile Simmons, domestic. researcher of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, told Euronews Culture. The movement emerged on social media platforms around six years ago, gaining popularity on Reddit, namely through an anti-feminist threat called the Red Pill. Trad wives then surfaced on other mainstream social media platforms like Instagram. Searches exploded during the pandemic, as with other forms of radicalization, they flourished through people's sense of isolation, explained Simmons. Hailing from the US, the trad wife movement across the Atlantic and quickly blossomed in the UK. Today it remains more popular in the Anglo-Saxon world than in mainland Europe. There's an ideological spectrum within the trad wife movement. Trad wives tend to be conservative and anti-feminist, but this does not mean they all belong to the far right. The movement can act as an entry point for white nationalist and supremacist ideology, says Simmons. Trad wives call for submissiveness to their husbands, a cause for concern according to Simmons. The danger is also that this could normalize abusive relationships. 
One of the trad wife figureheads is Estee Williams, a 26-year-old trad wife who lives with her husband in Virginia. In her feed of pictures and reels, she can be seen wearing an array of A-line dresses with immaculate styled blonde hair. Though she had, has many fans and her 100k followers, her post section also attack, attract criticism. So many women have fought for equality and this is what they achieve. What a shame, comments one user. On the side of the Atlantic lies on the other side of the Atlantic lies Alina Kate Pettit, Pettit, Petit, a British trad wife who runs the Darling Academy website. In her blog biography, she outlines how her exhaustive adventures working in London in her 20s led her to become a traditional housewife. My supposed modern and empowering choices has destroyed my self-esteem, she adds. Although Petit amassed a following of 40k followers on Instagram, she deleted her account, citing the vile messages, the hatred, as well as the unwanted attention from men. She remains active on her blog and other platforms. And then there are the more extreme trad wives with the likes of Ilya Stewart. Describing herself as a former college liberal who saw the light. Stuart is a Mormon. She was has she may have far less followers than Steve Williams, but she stirred up media frenzy a few years ago when the white baby challenge. In a now deleted video following a strong backlash, Stuart encouraged her followers to have as many white babies as possible. But they're not white nationalists. Okay. On YouTube I've seen more political videos and politicized discourse. On Telegram there have also been more bold in their assertion, assert, assertions as there is lower content moderation, explains Simmons. Trad wives may have the widest reach on Instagram, but they are also active across social media platforms. All social media platforms. Different platforms, but also subtleties in language. Some trad wives are good at using coded language and specific hashtags which create a danger of white nationalist ideology being used under the guise of mainstream aesthetic, added Simmons. There's a racial aspect to the trad wife movement as they are for the most part white women, as well as economic one. In order to live in the 1950s housewife, a household must be able to sustain itself on one single salary. A tough ask for many people given the global cost of living crisis. Trad wives may promote a return to traditional values as a stay-at-home wives, but the fact is that they can also make money and run businesses from the social media accounts, which would not be allowed in the 1950s. They probably also have their own bank account, which would also not be allowed in the 1950s. I have inter interacted with these trad wives and I was told I could be taught how to make money from them. From home, there's an element of recruiting other people into the lifestyle by saying it's a viable economic choice, explains Simmons. Ah, so it's also a Ponzi scheme or whatever as well. Hey, you know, just you start trad wifing and then tell you all your friends to trad wife and then we can all be trad wives making money off of social media. Except that you're just going to create a social media bloat and then there's only going to be like three people actually making money from it. The trad wife movement is still very marginal in continental Europe. It's nascent movement. It's starting to develop in France, but accounts don't have the same reach as American or British accounts. They have a few hundred followers, for instance, but I do suspect there could be some bigger accounts beginning to emerge, explained Simmons. In France, a rather unconventional trad wife has been attracting attention. 24-year-old Dice de Echouffon. She is the former member of the band far-right group Identite Generation. De Echouffon has reinvented herself as a social media figure promoting an anti-feminist message. However, the inconsistencies lie in the fact that she does not have a husband or children. Wait a minute, that's required for this role play of being a trad wife. While De Echouffon is still young, Sam Simmons explains that women who don't conform to the ideas they espouse can be isolated. In order to fit in with the traditional housewife movement, you need to get involved. If not, you will be punished.
So there you go. There's your info on the trad wife movement. Now it's, of course, I could have told you this ages ago, because if you study any form of nationalism, you'll learn that the foremost workings of nationalism includes women being wives and childbearers. You can't have a national movement without a population creator, basically. Wives are the center of that, so if you want to be a white nationalist, the best way to get more white nationalists is to make your wives white nationalists so that they can tell everyone else and raise children to be white nationalists and then woohoo we've got a whole white nationalist population oh, raise, raise 15 children to be white yeah nationalists. exactly they specifically raise a control. huge population of white nationalist children and then hey what do you next thing you know you know you're starting to hang people from trees well, and and don't forget, if you're really a trad wife, you must have 15 children. Yes. So don't claim you are without one on each arm and one on each breast and a couple clinging to your legs. You're not a trad wife. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you got screaming kids everywhere. Yeah. Crazy. And you're beating them with a rod like that other lady. Yeah, that freaking other that's lady. in the Bible. It's in the Bible, folks. It's in the Bible. The yeah, go do the Bible. Tell the people at the police station. I was a uh, Bible. Bible dash. And I could t poison my neighbor. Where? Okay. That's my I story. I guess we're on to this week in history. Mm -hmm. uh, this week in history. There was history. This day in history. This week would take a while. Let's just do today. Tomorrow's going to be a short day of history because it only happens every four years. So it's going to be at least 75% uh, shorter, right? 1827 on this day, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, known as the B&O on your Monopoly board, became the first steam-operated railway in the United States to be chartered as a common carrier of freight and passengers. Making my words bigger. I'll have to squint. <laughs> 1901, Amer American chemist Linus Pauling, who received two Nobel Prizes, for one for chemistry in 1954, another for peace in 1962 for efforts to control nuclear weaponry, was born. Linus, I wonder if that's where uh, Charles Schultz got his name from, huh? You know, Linus and the Peanuts. 1906, American gangster Bugsy Siegel was born in Brooklyn, New York, because we got to celebrate gangsters for some reason. 1922, Egypt was declared an independent country. Doesn't say by who, it just says it was declared. <laughs> A bunch of people went outside and declared it. We're independent! Woo! <laughs> That's how it works, folks. American basketball coach. Dean Smith, who is one of the most successful men's basketball coach in college, collegiate history and not a gangster, was born this day, 1931. 1942, during World War II, Japanese troops landed at the island of Java, which they occupied until 1945. 1983, the final episode of the immensely popular TV show MASH aired and was watched by an estimated 106 million viewers. And of course, it famously lasted about eight years longer than the war it depicted, which was the Korean War. 1991, the Persian Gulf War was international, an international conflict was triggered by Iraq's invasion of Kuwait 
ended as Iraq leader Saddam Hussein accepted a ceasefire agreement. 2013, Benedict XVI became the first pope to resign since Gregory XII in 1415. How bad was Gregory XII in 1415 they had to resign, huh? Shoo. Popes were pretty infamous in those days. Very infamous. Our featured event in 1986, Olaf Palme assassinated. Olaf Palme, the international prominent minister, the internationally prominent prime minister of Sweden, whose strong pacifist beliefs included opposition to the Vietnam War, was assassinated this day in Stockholm in 1986. Our other featured biography is Frank O'Gary, G-E-H. R-O-I, O'Gary. It's not, it's O is his middle initial, so it's not a, it's not a, um, Irish. What do you call it? Right name. Might be. He might be Irish. He was born in Canada. Anyways, born on February 28th in Toronto, Canada. He was a Canadian-American architect. And our other birthdays today, Svetlana Ali Yovieva, a Russian writer, Russian writer, was born this day in 1926. And Paul Krugman, American economist. Happy birthday, Paul Krugman, born in 1953 on this day, February 28th, which is National Public, Public Sleeping Day, <laughs> National Floral Design Day, National Tooth Fairy Day, and National Chocolate Souffle Day. Mmm. Which is not good for your teeth. Oh. Predicted. So the tooth fairy will be coming soon for that tooth you just ruined. <laughs> Those are all of them for today, February 28th, 2024, on Before Coffee. All right. This has been Allison from the Netherlands, who is going to have my day off and do nothing all day. Woohoo! Maybe I'll even sleep in public. How exciting. It's too windy to go outside here. Uh, no, I mean, yesterday was good weather. Today is terrible weather, so unlucky for me. But uh, I hope we see you tomorrow for our themeless Thursday. We're just going to dump more news on you. And here is your mic drop moment.
sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.